thankful to have uh, Sandy here with us today. He's a part of the Redemption family of churches. He serves as, as in many ways, a, a pastor to the pastors on their staff. Got to have dinner and spend time with Sandy last night. And Redemption as a whole, as you keep hearing that term, has really functioned as a parent church to ours. Our church would not exist without their generosity and love of Jesus being extended uh, so powerfully. And so thankful for Redemption, thankful to have Sandy with us this morning. Will you uh, give him a warm welcome for me? Thank you, brother. All right, I hit the right button. I did. It's working. So your pastor's a little affirmation starved. Did you pick that up? Uh, you know, he was watering some dry ground here is the applause. So let's give another hand to our wonderful pastor, Landon. Yes. You know, I, I, I know what he's doing. He, uh, you know, you can get numb to this handsome 30-year-old preaching every week. So he said, I'll bring in an old guy to just kind of bring some balance to what's going on at rest- Restoration. That is a great name for a church, Restoration Church, isn't it? That is what uh, Jesus keeps doing. He keeps restoring that which I have broke or which someone has broken in my life and where the world outside that doesn't know him, that's what leads to just bitterness and pain and defeat. But in Christ, there's always hope of a new life, of a resurrection, restoration. So I think that's a great name for the people of God. Today, uh, the passage that we're going to look at is an invitation, it's a call. And uh, last hour, I had a a couple people who told me specifically, wow, the Lord spoke to me today. And uh, that might be you. Uh, That's the beauty of church and Sunday. You know, you think you take someone from Jesus' time, 2,000 years ago, and plop them with a time machine in your world. The first thing they do is freak out when they see your car, right? Where's the horse? And it drives, and then your phone rings, and what is that? And then they hear, they look at the sky, here comes a plane. I mean, can you imagine just, it's mind-boggling. But with all the change in technology and lifestyles and education and the conveniences of life that you and I enjoy, Beyond what Jesus' contemporaries had, you know, there's still this one thing that is going on for 2,000 years, and it's this. For 2,000 years, Jesus' people keep meeting. I mean, it's just a simple thing. We're going to have communion today, and that is such a powerful, simple thing that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. We have technology for how we sing and music and all, all those kinds of things, but we come back to that simple meal. 2,000 years. I didn't pass one temple to Caesar on my way here, but I passed lots of churches honoring the work of Christ. And you know, I don't get credit for that. Landon doesn't get credit. If, if it was up to men, we would have ruined it about 1,000 years ago for sure. But Jesus said, I love those words. I will build my church. Not you, folks. I will build it, and hell itself can't stop it. Don't you love that? So here we sit 2,000 years later through world wars and pandemics and all the, the crazy things that happen in the world, and this keeps happening. 
So Christ is here, dear one. It's his work, and uh, I'm honored and delighted to be with you. But uh, I I guess I want to just put that in your head and heart. Jesus is going to make a call today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are just astounded that this church is yours and you build it. And we take no credit. And we will never get over the fact that you found us and called us to yourself and into a a community of people where we can love you and love each other. And uh, once we've tasted that, that life, we can't imagine doing life without it. Thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place and speak to us and do your work to the glory of Jesus, the risen one, we pray. Amen. All right, this book I have, it's called the Bible. Have you seen this before? Some of you. Can you look with me in Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9. There goes my cap. Can you all live with that? That's, someone's got OCD and it's driving you nuts that that cap is just laying there and I'm not grabbing it. When you hear the word an invitation, you, you might think of Billy Graham or an evangelist or uh, some youth meeting where they're going to give an invitation. And that usually means everybody close your eyes, bow your head, and we're going to give an opportunity to pray and receive Christ. And, and God has used that. But Jesus' invitation is a little different than the typical evangelistic invitation you hear. And I think it's more full-bodied. I think it's more honest. I think it's more powerful and life-changing because it's him and he's God and he's the smartest person who ever lived. And so when he says things, and this invitation shows up several times in the synoptic gospels. In Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, you hear this invitation. A couple times in Matthew, Mark chapter 8, Luke, you hear in 9, and uh, later in this gospel, you'll hear this invitation. So because it's repeated, I mean, if it was just in here once, it's worth wrestling with. But the fact that the Holy Spirit gave these writers a reminder to be sure you put this in, I think is really important for us. And I have found that when people hear this invitation, lives change. So let's look at it. He's just told the disciples the context uh, that, verse 22, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to suffer. That's the Son of Man. That's him. That, that Son of Man, you know, that's Daniel's messianic title. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's, he's tying all of Scripture together and reminding the guys, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one Dave, Daniel talked about. And the Son of Man is going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected, and he's going to be killed. And, and you know, when he said he's going to be killed, the disciples didn't hear anything after that. Because that is not what they were expecting. In fact, Peter will interrupt him and say, no, Lord, we don't need to go to Jerusalem. Let's just stay out here and, you know, all all the people that want to destroy you are there. And Jesus has to harshly correct him and say, you're thinking like the enemy, Satan. It's all part of the plan, Peter, trust me. But they don't hear the good news that I will be raised up on the third day. So even when he is crucified, you know, they're they're full of gloom and doom and nobody remembered. Hey, didn't he say... (laughs) Just like you and me, they, they just remember the bad news. They don't remember the great promise. Didn't he say? 
So in that background, he says to them, and he says to them all, if you see verse 23, it's not just to the disciples, it's to the, all the people that are following him, the crowds, uh, the people he just fed, the, the 5,000. He says to all of them. So this is not a private invitation to really committed people. This is an invitation to each of us. He was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come, and that, don't miss that, anybody can come. A child, a teenager, an old person, anybody can come. It's an open, grace-filled invitation because we know on the other side of the cross that he has opened the door for anyone to come. But then he says, if anyone wants to come, you must deny yourself. Hmm. You know, when I first read those words, I thought, oh, does that mean no more ice cream? No more football on Sunday? Uh, anything that's fun, I got to say no to? Is that just be more religious? That is not what he's talking about. He must deny himself, take up his cross. It's the cross that Jesus gives all of us. It's not your mother-in-law. Yeah. It's okay, sister. I, I love your laugh. Just keep it up. It's all right. It's not your bad hip. It's not your boss. Those are all hardships we all share. This cross is when you take up the name and identity and cause and mission of Jesus, it separates you from what everybody else is doing. You must deny yourself, take up your cross every day. It is, it's a daily choice, isn't it? Who am I serving today? And follow me. Wow. That's an invitation worth unpacking. But that, that's a dynamic invitation. I want you to follow me. Anybody can. Age, gender, education, race, none of that matters. Anyone can come. But understand who it is that's given the invitation and what it's going to take for you. It's not works. Don't misunderstand. He's not loading up the things you got to do to be saved. But he's saying to follow me, it's not just rolling out of bed. And the invitation is a life-changing one. So often when we talk to people about coming to Christ, it's, do you want to go to heaven? I guess so. Well, if you, Jesus died for you. If you pray this prayer, then you'll go to heaven. Okay, so you pray this prayer. In fact, I was trained in evangelism back in the day when the earth's crust was still hardening. Uh, that I should kind of talk people into it. Would, would you like to go to heaven? Well, I, I guess so. Well, why not? Well, what else are you going to do? I mean, you, hell? Come on. Don't you want to go to heaven? Well, would you like to pray this prayer right now? Well, well, why should you wait? You know, you might get hit by a car. You better not. I mean, I, I had all those things. Well, that's awful. I've repented of that many times and pray that those people that I arm twisted into a prayer have really found Christ. Be but it's... Jesus, yes, you, John 1, as many as receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. That's true, but that's just the start. That's just the start. Jesus' invitation, wow, come on, Sandy, follow me. I'm going somewhere, follow me. Well, that's, that's powerful. And like he says on another occasion, that's worth giving some time to consider. 
Do you want to follow me? Do you want to go where I'm going? Can you trust me where I might take you? We should allow people to wrestle with those questions. How you start with things uh, can kind of set you on a course. And uh, my story, your, your, your life story matters. And even at this stage in life, my history, I, I see how uh, it has uh, created issues that I continue to have to deal with and has given a strength to me that I'm so grateful for. But it's important to know your story because that's part, Jesus knows it. In fact, he, he sovereignly was over it, even the, the awful things. He was over that and is going to use that. My story, I was the oldest of four boys to a functioning alcoholic. So dad uh, might come home. He might go to the bar. Mom would set the table. We didn't know, was he coming? I'm the oldest. I get a knot on my stomach looking at the clock. Finally, mom said, okay, let's just eat. Dad might come home. We didn't know if he'd come home all happy or if he'd come home angry and sullen. It just created all this anxiety. And so if you've read about families in an alcoholic system, and you know, how many of you have know what I'm talking about or know someone that you care about that's from that? See, it's all over. It's so part of our culture, unfortunately. Uh, there's roles the, adult, the children fall into. And typically, the oldest child becomes the hero savior. Well, and that was me. And that you don't realize it, but what you're thinking is, if I, if I do everything right and I perform, that somehow it will make home less chaotic, at least for me. And so that's what I did. So I made good grades and I played on all the sports teams and I was always the coach's favorite and the captain because I did exactly what he told me to do because I wanted to please. That was... That was the driving force was to please and perform. And so it served me. And uh, the downside is I didn't really know, well, who am I? I know who you want me to be. And so I've learned how to perform to make you like me. But who am I? What do I want? I, I don't know. In fact, in, uh, in eighth grade, I, I had a, a bleeding ulcer from all the anxiety that I just took into my gut. And... Uh, then I really had to put up the wall because now I realized, wow, when I worry, I could die. So now I really had this wall up of Joe Cool and inside, hey ho, nobody's home. Who am I? And I always admired people with courage and conviction, but I had no idea where that came from. So now we fast forward, I'm in college. I'm at ASU, so you know, I'm not very smart, don't hold that against me. Uh, when I was there, we had two things going for us at ASU. We had the meanest coach in football. If anybody remembers Frank Cush, that was his fame, the meanest coach in football. Uh, and we, Playboy magazine said we were the number one party school in the nation. Yeah. Not, uh, you know, so if you wanted to get an education, you went to Tucson. If you wanted to have a lot of fun, you went to ASU. So there I am. I'm, it's my junior year. I'm the president of the fraternity. I'm on the student senate. I'm a devil's advocate. Uh, yeah. I went around to high schools and would speak and tell them why they should go to ASU and not U of A. Not really didn't say that, but here's why you should come to ASU. In other words, I'm performing. 
and I'm getting invited to stuff, and I say yes all the time, and I keep thinking uh, so something's going to fill this void. And there was this haunting question in my heart of, what is this all about? What is this life all about? And uh, do I just go to school and get a degree and get a wife, get a house, get a mortgage, get a pension, die? Is that it? So I'm hungry for, there's got to be more. What is this? So it's a Sunday morning. I'm laying my bunk, ill from too much fraternizing. I've got seven up and saltine crackers. You know what I mean? And uh, the most dangerous person in the frat comes into my room, Jeff Patterson. We prided ourselves on pledging everyone. If you had to describe the most uncool person you could think of, it would be Jeff. Uh, he was height challenged, and he always wanted to play in the pickup basketball game, so he's always the last guy picked. His poor complexion was like a pepperoni pizza, terrible. He drove a Studebaker his grandfather gave him from Tucson, and he was in the marching band, so he's drumming all the time. His voice was still changing. And on, if all that wasn't enough to make him uncool, he loved Jesus. And he was always asking guys, hey, you want to go to church? Hey, do you know Jesus? And I like, Patterson, I, I've been to church. I was confirmed, and so I know the information. I'm, I'm good. Leave me alone. He's also a biology major. So he comes in my room on this Sunday morning and says, Sandy, did you know that when you drink too much that you kill this many cells, but you have this many extra, and these will be replenished? But, Sandy, if you died today, where would you be? You know, and no one had ever just looked me in the eye and ask me, where would you be? Well, God's probably like my geography teacher. I got a curve, right? So I'm a, I bet I'm a C minus, Patterson. I think I'll make it. There's guys here a lot worse than me. And, uh, well, I know. Well, how do you know? So he went back to his room. He got this little four spiritual law book. Anybody know the four spiritual laws little track? And uh, law one, catch me. There's a God who loves you, has a plan for your life. Oh. I want to believe that's true. Okay, law two, sin has separated you from him. Well, I'm laying in the midst of that. I can't argue my way out of that. Law three, Jesus took your place on the cross. And I, I knew that information. But it was the fourth one. You, you've got to do something about Jesus. And according to that verse, John 1, as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. I remember just saying, Sandy, you wouldn't want to pray this prayer, would you? I said, Jeff, I... I think this is what I've been looking for all my life. And I said, we kneeled down. I said, Jesus said the prayer. Jesus, if you're real and you're hearing this, uh, let me know and I'm yours. And he did. And as I look back now, I, I see that part of my upbringing, the lack is that I, I became like the third parent. I had to grow up too fast to help manage the craziness. It's as if there were a couple poles that in a healthy growing up get connected. But uh, in my life, they didn't. And it's like Jesus grabbed a hold of those and went, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, it all made sense. I'm yours. I'm here for you. I don't care who knows. Whatever you want to do. I had a poster of Smoke and Joe Frazier on the outside of my door. 
Some of you remember the great old boxers, you know, Muhammad Ali and Foreman and Frazier. That's when everybody would watch the heavyweight fight. And so I had a full-size, you know, Smoking Joe, and that was my man. And I realized, Smoking Joe, I love it, but you're not it anymore. He took it down. I don't know where I got this. But, you know, president of the frat, I put a verse on my door, Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Talk about a wet blanket where the frat. But that, for me, it just, now I knew where conviction came from. I had a cause. I had a person to follow. Called my girlfriend, Margie, nursing student, straight A. Her dad uh, was a two-star general in the Air Force. He flew in three wars. He flew the end of World War II and uh, Korea and Vietnam. In fact, he had a, we have a, picture frame of the cover of Newsweek magazine where he looks like, you know, Top Gun. He flew the first hundred missions over Korea. I mean, this guy, if they're going to make a movie of him, it had to be, you know, Jimmy Stewart or Tom Cruise would have to do that. I mean, just amazing man. And so it was Thursday now that week, like three in the morning in my dorm, I've been sharing all my biblical wisdom with Margie, John 3.16 and some other verse in the track, I think Revelation 3.20, knock on the door. Actually, a bad exegesis of that verse, but God used it. And uh, she said to me, so you're telling me if my father, you know, the general who's accomplished, took care of his widowed mother, I mean, just this amazing man, you're telling me if he doesn't pray this prayer to receive Jesus like you did, you go to heaven and he doesn't? And by the grace of God, I said, I think that's what the Bible says. And right before my eyes, friends, she just melted. And she's a strong woman, smart, and she just melted all her defenses. And she said, well, how do I become a Christian? And I wisely said, yeah, I've been telling you for four days. Have you not been listening to me? Come on now. No. She's now my wife of 46 years, and we've been doing ministry. Yeah. That's for you, Margie. So... Told my folks, I know you want me to go to law school, but I'm gonna, that'll be up to Jesus. And uh, called my best friend who laughed at me, but Jesus got him two years later. He's now a preacher in the valley. So uh, Jesus got the last laugh on that. But here's, here's my point. I was so fortunate. I was so fortunate that there was just a clear call. Sandy, do you want me? Yes, Lord. Well, you follow. Yes, I'll follow you. Where you want, wherever you want. I, I was, when he says, deny yourself, take up the cross, that was the most natural response to him because I knew what that meant. The world's good life, the frat, the partying, the dating, the sports, you know, the money, all the things that's supposed to fill me weren't working. I happily turn, that's called repentance, by the way. That's where you turn from this and you turn to him. I was happy to repent and I have never looked back. I've never looked back. But it, <clears throat> it's because of the moment in my life. And my concern this morning is that there are some here, and I, I you know, I, I say this with love because I want God's best for you, who would say things like, well, I've just always been a Christian. I've just always, and I'm not, I'm not questioning that, but I've met a lot of men that told me how they prayed a prayer with, you know, in Sunday school class or VBS or youth camp, 
And then they, they went on their agenda. They took up their, their plan and it blew up. And there was the financial loss or the divorce or the health setback. And now they said, Jesus, whatever you want. And it's, it's a repentance, it's a turning, and it's life. And that's what I want you to understand. Jesus is inviting us to a life. John 10.10, 10, I have told you these things so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not just so that you might <clears throat> know you're going to go to heaven and I'll see you then. Good luck. He's going somewhere. Paul put it in Ephesians 2. You've been saved by grace and not of work so that no one can boast. But then verse 10 is so great. You are his workmanship. You are his design created in Christ Jesus to do cool stuff that he's prepared beforehand for you to do. He doesn't just, he's not just counting heads. Well, how many converts today? Okay, see him in heaven. No, he's saying, I found her. I found him. And I want him to follow me. And I want him to be all in. And that's what this is. This is an invitation to be all in. Deny yourself. Self is your greatest enemy. Not your spouse, not your boss, not your 401k. You're great, not the president. Okay, your greatest enemy is you, you. The whole New Testament is how to be delivered from you. You are your greatest problem, self. And so Jesus, because he's the widest, smartest counselor, psychologist who ever lived, knows if we're ever gonna get anywhere, you gotta say no to yourself. You've gotta do that. Here's an analogy that might help you. Because early on when I read these words, it felt like a threat. Well, if you're going to come after me, buddy, you better say no to everything you like and take up the cross and just come on, let's go. Who wants to do that? No. Let's say you're 18. And uh, you're a really good swimmer. And you've, you've been the star of your high school. And word's gotten out. And this Olympic coach comes to your home. And the Olympic coach says, I turn people like you, swimmers like you, into world-class athletes. And your folks are there. And you're like, wow. You have the potential to be that kind of swimmer. Would you want to do that? Yeah. Well, here's what you got to understand. The first thing is that you got to say no to all the past ways you've been trained you got to say no to all your other coaches, and I can be the only coach, the only voice in your head, or this will never work. And you would say, well, that makes sense. And then I want you to take up my methodology. I don't want you to take several methodologies. I don't want you to listen to this or read that video. I just want you to say no to every other voice, every other swimming coach, and take up my methodology. Why? Because that's the only way I can get everything out of you. Trust me, I've made world-class swimmers. And the only way it works is when they say no to every other voice and they follow me. And your, your parents and you would say, well, that makes sense. Well, that's what Jesus is saying, dear one. You, you have everything I've put in you to be a fruitful, joy-filled follower of me. But it will never work if you're only halfway in. That's what James said. Remember the book of James? 
Ask anything of the Lord and he doesn't play favorites or scold you. He'll give you what you want. But know this, you can't be double-minded. You can't kind of be, okay, I, I'm in, Lord. Well, I don't know. I think I'm going to try this way. Well, I don't, it'll, it'll never happen. You'll never get the power. You'll never get that sense of conviction and call that Jesus wants to give you. He died for you. You are very expensive to him. He knows the hairs on your head. He shed his blood. He's given everything because he wants you with him in glory. That's ridiculous, but that's what he wants. And the one that he's paid so much for, he wants to make you into this beautiful woman, this beautiful man, this experience suffering with joy, this experience fruitfulness in their ministry and their gifts, but he can't do it if you're not in. So this invitation is not a threat, it's just how it works. Anybody here learn piano? Yeah, your mom made you, I know. You know, you had one piano teacher. You didn't meet with three, you had one. That's the only, that's what Jesus is saying. I know what I'm doing, but I gotta have all of you. Paul says the same thing in Romans 12. Romans, 16 awesome chapters. The first 11 are all about the grace of God. You're a sinner, religion can't save you. Uh, here's what you're saved by, you're saved by faith. Here's what faith looks like. It's active. It has action to it. It's not passive. It's not like, yeah, I believe, like, you know, I believe, uh, you know, that Napoleon was real. No, it's a faith that responds. And then it talks about sin is still an issue, Romans 7. But look at the grace of God, chapter 8, Romans 8, one of the richest chapters in all the New Testament. You ought to be in Romans 8 on a regular basis. It's like going back to the vault, you're a millionaire, and just be reminded, wow, look what I have. Look what I have. In Romans 9 to 11, the sovereign plan of God. God's so much bigger than you, you can't handle, you can't figure it out. It's his purposes. Why does he choose you and didn't choose him or her? I don't know. That's up to him. But you can trust him. In fact, he's not done with Israel. Can you imagine that? And then he comes to chapter 12. He says, now, in light of all of the grace of God, I want you to just pray this little prayer. He says, in light of the mercies of God, I love that word. He says, I beg you, I beseech you, you won't be sorry. Give your whole person, give your whole body, all of you as your offering in response, your offering of gratitude. It's always gratitude that moves me to want to follow him. But Paul says, you got to give all of you. Don't be conformed to the world any longer. Don't listen to its voices. Give him all of you, and then you'll discover the will of God for your life in ways you couldn't otherwise. Christ is here. He's always calling. He's calling this morning. There's someone here this morning, just like there was in the first service, that Christ has been wooing, whispering. He wants all of you because he has so much for you, so much more. Maybe you found, you know, the Christian life's kind of boring, kind of, okay. Same. It's because you're still doing it on your power, your ideas. Deny that. Turn from that. Take up his mission his cause, his name, that's what the cross is. Take up him and follow him.
you will not be sorry. You will not be sorry. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we believe that you're here, and we believe that right now you are calling to someone to say, I, I love you, I died for you, I know all about you, I know where I've brought you, and I want all of you today. Trust me, let go of what you've been holding so tightly. Let go of your fears, let go of your anger, your pain. Give it to me and trust me and follow me. Oh Lord, pour out your spirit. Do your work that only you can do, for you are worthy. In your name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, Jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, If you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.